Welcome back to Trojan Talk. I'm Ryan Young, and we have a great show today. This is really a great show. I'll get into the guest and the highlights here momentarily, but as always, I want to give you guys a great chance to take advantage of a special deal we have going on right now. If you're not subscribed to Trojansports.com, now's the time. There's no reason not to. USC recruiting is rolling. We're constantly talking about what's coming next on the message board. Uh, there's buzz right now for another commitment, possibly a week away. Join us, join that discussion, and do it all with a free trial. We're giving away a free trial until September 5th. Seriously, like you sign up now and you get full premium access until September 5th, which was is supposed to be the start of the 2020 college football season for USC. We'll see what happens there, but these are weird times. We wanted to give a special deal out to give people a chance to get in, get a taste of our content, and hopefully when the world is back to normal, you decide you want to stay with us and, and, and follow our coverage, our, our exclusive content. And we're constantly churning out exclusive content. I'll get to that in a minute, but real fast on the promo, it's promo code USC2020, USC2020 at sign up. And if you go to the homepage, trojansports.com, there's a big banner link at the top. There's links in every story. It's real easy to find a direct link to take advantage of that free trial and sign up. So make sure you do that. And when you do, what will you get? Well, you're going to get a lot of exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. I was really proud this past week. We had an in-depth feature story into USC's recruiting resurgence, I guess you'd call it. Uh, kind of uh, what's going on behind the scenes. How the staff has really overhauled their social media presence. Uh, what that means where it's going from here, why it's happening now, and then how the coaches are dealing with recruiting in this weird time where they can't visit recruits. They can't have recruits visit them, and yet they're still producing commits like crazy. They've had seven commits since March 11th. So I talked to several assistant coaches. I talked to some recruiting staffers. I talked to some people off the record and got a lot of great intel and put together, I think, a pretty compelling story. It's gotten great feedback. It's You can find it on our homepage right now. Uh, but but we're, we're trying to give you stuff like that constantly that you're just not going to find anywhere else. So hopefully you join up, you join in. But you're here right now. You're here for the podcast. And again, I'm really excited for this podcast. I've been working for a couple of weeks to sync up with Brandon Campbell, USC's four-star running back commit from Houston, Texas. Uh, we've been talking back and forth, trying to find the right time to do the podcast. Well, the right time presented itself this weekend because Campbell's friend and 7-on-7 seven -seven teammate, Quadarius Davis, the four-star wide receiver from Dallas, Texas, commits to USC on Friday night. Brandon Campbell was a huge force in helping that recruitment along and, and trying to get Quay Davis on board with him. So I, I had Brandon Campbell on the show as our first guest today talking about his transition from recruit to recruiter and, and who he's talking to, how he goes about trying to get guys to join this class with him. He's, he's promised a top five class for USC, and he's doing everything he can to make that happen. And, man, they're pretty close right now. They're number six in the rivals' recruiting rankings with 10 commits, seven four-stars, two top 25 guys now with Davis on board. Three top 100 guys, five rivals, 250 guys. I mean, just these are numbers and stats we didn't have last year. I'm not going to get ahead of ourselves here, but it's on track to kind of get back into the type of recruiting classes that USC fans have been accustomed to. There's a long way to go. It's only 
May, but so far so good. And it was a great conversation with Brandon Campbell about that recruiting process and his involvement. Then I got another good friend of mine on. Uh, Therese Paler is a senior NFL reporter at Yahoo Sports. He and I worked together way back when at the Kansas City Star. He's gone on to, to huge heights in the business. He's one of the main voices on the NFL. And I wanted to get him to talk about how USC's two draftees fit at their new organizations. How Michael Pittman with the Colts and Austin Jackson with the Dolphins, how, how those were, were good or bad fits for them in their draft landing spots. And I think you're going to really enjoy that conversation with Therese. We also go off on a few tangents afterward. That was fun. Then, because that's not enough for one show, I bring in another great friend of mine, Brady McCullough from the Los Angeles Times. Uh, you might remember that Brady covered USC in, during the 2018 season, and he's moved on to become a, a national college football writer, did a lot of big features last year on uh, across the country, a lot of stuff on LSU. Anyways, he, he's really plugged into the, the national college football scene and I wanted to have him break down this NIL stuff, name, image, likeness matter going on with the NCAA, where they're trying to reach a point that everyone's happy with, where college athletes can profit off their name, image, and likeness, where they haven't been able to to this point. So you're talking about the star quarterback doing commercials for a car dealership or signing autographs for money, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, well, you know, it's a complicated issue, and it's moving slowly, but it's moving forward, and Brady breaks all that down in a great way, so I stay on and listen to that segment, and that's our show for today. I do want to just talk about the recruiting at the top before I get to our guest. The Quay Davis commitment is huge. He's the number 21 overall prospect in this class. He's a guy I got to see in person back in February in Nevada. There was a big seven-on-seven tournament in Mesquite, Nevada. His fast Houston team was there with Brandon Campbell, with Quay Davis, some other guys USC's going after, and he put on a show. I mean, this guy just has an alpha personality on the field. He's he's built like a like a pro already. I mean, he's very muscular frame, great speed, a, a guy that I think can be effective at all levels of the field, like an Amon Ross St. Brown, really. Um, you know, a guy that you can you can get the ball in the screen game, and he's going to fight and get, get extra yards after it. A guy that just has great hands, and anywhere you find him on the field, he's going to catch it. But also a guy who's a, a true deep threat downfield and, and has the speed and finds a way to get open. Uh, that's why he's ranked so high in our rankings. I only saw him that one time at that camp, and I was so impressed with him. When I talked to him there... And this is, you know, two and a half months ago, he was telling me that USC was recruiting him harder than anybody. He goes, strong, like stronger than the in-state Texas schools. It's crazy. And that helps you understand how he was able to get to a point of committing to a school that he wanted to visit again. Now, as you'll hear in our conversation with Brandon Campbell, and I had forgotten this, that fast Houston 7-on-7 team had come last spring to a tournament in Los Angeles and then went to USC's campus. I forgot that Quay Davis was with that group that time. So he at least saw the campus last, whatever that was, March, April. But he had talked about really wanting to come back for a visit and get in a true sense for the program and wasn't able to do that with this national shutdown. Yet still got to a point where he said, you know what, no, this is where I want to go. This is my school and commits. 
So we'll get into that with Brandon Campbell. But a huge pickup. You know, we had the flurry of commits from March 11th until just a couple weeks ago. And that alone was impressive. But to see it continuing and, and, and the buzz continues to mount. Like I said, I think we're going to have another commit coming down the pike in about a week. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to our Trojan Talk message board and join the conversation. But it's, it's, it's just building. It's building upon itself. I think these prospects are seeing other top guys making the USC decision, and that makes it a little easier for them. You know, whereas the opposite happened last year where kids saw everyone going anywhere but USC. They saw all the top local guys leaving the state and going elsewhere. That makes it hard to sell someone on USC when they see their peers who are maybe closer to the situation saying, nah, I'm going somewhere else. Well, the opposite's happening now where a lot of big-name guys are jumping on board, and that makes it easier for other guys to say, yeah, I want to be a part of this class. So that momentum is huge. But really, to me, the biggest thing about the, the, the Davis commitment was that they now have two top 200 prospects from Texas committed in this class. And why does that matter? I mean, yes, Southern California is the priority, and if they just lock down their backyard, they're going to be in a great shape every year, every class. That is the priority. Nothing's changed. But the reality is, this coaching staff, the majority of this coaching staff has deep ties in the state of Texas. And it would be a waste to not leverage those and use those. Uh, obviously, Graham Harrell played at Texas Tech and spent his whole life in the state until getting into coaching. Mike Jinks was a longtime high school coach throughout Texas. John David Baker, the tight ends coach, played at Abilene Christian, Texas guy. Tyler Orlando and Craig Niver just came to USC after stints at Texas and Houston, building connections with all the high schools there. And it goes on and on. So it, it would be a waste for them to not make a major emphasis on recruiting Texas guys. They have made an emphasis, but to see it now churning out results and, and, and big-time results is really, really encouraging. That's my biggest takeaway from the Quay Davis commitment is that Brandon Campbell wasn't a one-off. They've now gotten two guys, two premier guys from that state, and you're starting to see that that investment and time there is paying off. But overall, like I said, USC's up to number six in the rivals' rankings, 10 commits, seven four-stars. And as we talked on the previous podcast with Adam Gorney, the other three uh, commits, the three three-stars, all have the potential to get that bump to the four-star status when the cycle's over. So it's been a really, really productive cycle so far. And I think you're going to be really interested to hear maybe some of the other names that might be in play or the, the guys that Brandon Campbell's really pushing for and going after. And we talk a little bit of Corey Foreman. So, you know what? Let's get right into it. No more tease, no more build up. Let's get to our first guest. All right. Very excited to welcome to the show our first guest, Brandon Campbell, the four star running back commit from Houston, Texas, the rival's top 200 national prospect. And really one of the first dominoes of this whole wave of commitments for USC. Brandon, thanks for joining us. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing great. It has been so refreshing to cover USC recruiting this last month and a half after it being a little different the previous year or so. It's been a total change. And I want to cover a lot of things with you, but I want to get into your role in that recruiting process. I talked to you on the day you committed back in March, and what struck me the most was that it wasn't the end of the process for you. It was kind of the beginning because you immediately transitioned from recruit to recruiter, saying you wanted to help USC land a top five class and setting the bar really high. 
Let's get right into that, and especially in the wake of the news Friday, Quadarius Davis, four-star wide receiver, number 21 national prospect, commits to USC. You're seven-on-seven teammate with Fast Houston. What was your involvement with, with Quay and getting him on board with you? Um, really, with Quay, I knew it was going to be a little bit um, of a process, but, I mean, I knew the caliber of player he was, and I just, like, really could. I know um, the staff is real high on Quay, and that were one of the top targets. Um, Quay was one of the top targets for us, and so I would just, like, talk, try to talk to him, try to reach out, just let him know that we're really interested in him and just let him know where we stand with him and just really try to show him love and stuff, the same love they showed me. And I think we did a good job with Quay. And we um, I feel like um, he's going to help us in terms of the recruiting class and get um, get some more things rolling. And also, like, he'll be able to help definitely, most definitely on the field. Definitely. I was out at that 7-on-7 tournament in Mesquite, Nevada, where your team was playing. I talked to Quay that day, and this is before you had committed, and he was saying even then that USC was coming after him so hard, even stronger than the in-state Texas schools. When did you kind of really start to plant the seed with him and start talking to him about it after you knew that you were going to choose USC and, and trying to get him to join you? USC was always real high for me, so I always like had a good feeling about them. I just didn't really... I wasn't really 100% sure at the time. So I, me and Quay were kind of already talking about it, just um, just like situations, like what could happen. And basically like the coaches, me and him both talked to a lot. And so we, me and him already like had um, previous conversations about it. We just, I guess we just didn't really plan it would um, really go like this. But um, I know Quay said he really liked them a lot. And he liked the um, way they were planning to use him and all that. So I think it's just, and then they like he likes that they just they let him to, he's, he feels like he could just be him around them and they've made a good good job and make sure um, he feels comfortable with them and same with me and I feel like all the other recruits give us a sense for for like how, how you go about this is it is it every day you're texting them going hey hey man remember the Trojans USC or is it is it every few days you guys talk I mean how aggressive do you get when you're talking to other prospects like what um for me it's just based off feel like based on what's going on if i know like the coach like have just talked to him i'll like i'll, I'll reach out it, um, for maybe for like a, a period of time like, i might like, text him like every day for probably about like two three days and then like just checking up on him just just talking about just regular stuff just like the recruiting process we talk about usc talk about other schools as well i i just like to just make sure i keep in contact with them and just let them know that we're still interested in like what what we have going on at usc and how they would fit in and how can they um, help turn this program around and get it back to um, what it used to be. Like you, I'm pretty sure he has not been able to visit USC yet. How were you able to help make him more comfortable with a school that he hasn't been to and that you haven't been to either, but but you've been in, involved even longer with him? Um, I think Quay might have went last year with um, Coach, uh, Coach Rowe. And okay, okay. With, um, I think when they went out to Cali, I think he might have went out there then. And um, same same with all Dwight and, um, and Josh Eden and all of them came out. But um, that's right, I, I recall that. But um, I know that he really liked it about that. Like he know he wanted to he wanted to kind of like build something. Like he, I know he's telling me he wanted to really build something and just start something of his own and make it um, make make the school a powerhouse, like a powerhouse name, a powerhouse program again. And I told him USC like the situation that we really had going here. And I feel like, I feel like you, really USC sells itself. 
in terms of like um, he gave one of the top educations as well as one of the um, premier football programs in the country. And I feel like we're going to help it get back to that elite status. With him, what was kind of the the timeline? I mean, there's been some some buzz out there for a while. You, you kind of uh, hinted at some news a couple times. Well, at what point did you really feel you had him on board? Really, about a month ago, I felt like I just felt I just felt him like leaning towards USC because he would. Then it wasn't so much me reaching out to him about USC; it was him reaching out to me about USC. So that's when I feel like I feel like when a recruit does that, when they start reaching out to you about the school, wanting to know more information. I feel like the interest level is like is really there, and I just like I really just recognized it. How like I I used to be texting him and calling him about it, and then he would, then the next thing you know he would be texting me and calling me about it, asking questions about it. That you could tell he's really trying to get a feel for um, USC and for the coaches and stuff. So that's really how I gauged it. And about a month ago is when I really started to feel it, like feel like the urgency that he wanted to make a decision. Well, just lastly on him, you you know his his abilities as well as anybody. What is USC getting with Quay Davis? USC, they're going to get a big physical receiver who not only can catch passes but can block um, outside guys. He's going to um, oh, you got a real competitor with him. I feel like I feel like his um, you can um, he he's one of those competitors that when um, when you see the way he plays and how hard he plays and how into it he is, I feel like it just ups everybody's game around him and I feel like he's one of those players that I just help he's gonna help um he's gonna be um a running back's best friend, a quarterback best friend, he's gonna help in all aspects of the game. So I feel like like you're gonna get an overall complete player with him and y'all see him develop um really well at USC. Just from my limited time talking to him and watching him at that tournament in Nevada, he seems like kind of an alpha personality. Is that is that fair? Yes, most definitely he has um I say that um, I know when me and Coach um, Harold talk about um, Quay, it says remind him a lot of Des Bryant. And I see that too with um, really like really strong hands. I feel like um, he can go up and get it. I feel like like most every time I see um, um, the quarterback um, put it up there for uh, Quay, he comes down and get it. He has like like I said, he has really strong hands, and he's just dominant. You can just feel it. You can feel it when he's out there. He's really he has a real dominant personality, and I feel like those are the type of players you need that really help move you to the next level for sure well you know not only was he a big get were you a big get but usc has gotten seven commitments since march 11th but i circle back to the two texas guys you you guys the staff has put so much emphasis on recruiting the state of texas and i think it's it's huge to see that starting to pay off with some of these big commitments how important is it for texas prospects to see guys like you and guys like Quay jump on board. Does that make it easier for the Trojans to now go get other guys out of the state? Um, yes, I feel like it is because people are like people notice that type of stuff. Like like they've they figure like people see people from Texas and you know, there's a lot of powerhouse programs in Texas as well. You got A and M, you have Texas, you have Texas Tech, SMU, like there's a lot of schools in Houston. So when you see a kid from Texas um try to um go somewhere like go somewhere out of state that's that's decent uh, miles away from home, and you, you start to wonder like why 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 they pick USC like so you start trying to get more information, try to figure out like what USC has to offer, and I feel like that's when people that have USC offers, they're really starting to look like oh like why um why USC, and then once they forgot what USC has to offer, they, I feel like I said USC sells itself, and then I think we do a good job of recruiting, we're doing it the right way, so I mean I feel like um, 
really like it sells itself so people will see it and then i feel like people will jump on board i i, I love that you say that, that that we are doing a great job in recruiting because again you are very involved in this and you're as plugged in as anybody when i talked to you on the day you committed i, I thought it was really interesting when you were explaining how you communicate with the staff or you, you might reach out to them and say hey uh look at this guy, he's, he's really good. Or they'll say, hey, this is someone we want, what can you do? Can you kind of tell the fans about how that process works with, with your communications with the staff in terms of, um, of who you're talking to? Yes, actually, when I talk to the staff, you know, I, I, I talk to uh, basically most of the staff every week, at least once a week I talk to, I try to get on the phone with everybody, like receiver coach, uh, safety coach, corners coach, O-line coach, Coach Jinx, everybody. Um, I try to like get in contact with everybody just just to see where we stand and just to see like what I feel like um what what's like the priority and I mean when I reach out to them I'm if I feel like I've uh, seen somebody that like has like genuine interest I'll tell them and the guys maybe we're like their their priority to us and I feel like maybe we're not like a priority to them right now I I um, express that and basically that's how we um like decide whether we're gonna like just move along or we're gonna keep recruiting keep recruiting them or just we just basically go off like feel like what's going on and us talking to them like as a group i feel like they have good they have like enough trust in me if i like put out a player and i feel like this dude's like this guy can go i feel like um they can um they'll like they'll evaluate him and they'll let me know what they think about him and like where they stand with the like with the person or wherever or what um whatnot yeah and so i feel like it goes both ways though like they'll re they'll ask me about players and I'll tell them, like, when I've seen them play, like, I'll tell them what I feel about them, like, good player, like, real strong, fast, like, just give them just, like, the traits of him, what I've seen and stuff like that, and so I feel like that comes with trust and stuff like that, and I feel like me and the staff have, like, really good uh, connection and stuff, where, like, it's easy to talk to them about all that type of stuff, because they're straightforward, and they're, they're going to, they're going to just tell you how it is, they're not going to, um, they're not going to beat around the bush, so I feel like it um, goes pretty well with that type of stuff, and that's just a little insight on how it goes. So, who are some of your top targets right now? Is there anybody you're you're really putting the time into? Um, the top targets right now. I know they were really. I know some some of the top our top targets have actually committed, but we're um, we that, that doesn't change um what we that, what we still want them. We know it's um it's a long process. We uh, I feel like we realize that recruiting process is not just um it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So. Even if the player is committed, none's official until signing day. And I feel like that's where we're gonna get um, get a lot of people as well. Like, I feel like a lot of schools when they get the commitments that they want, they just kind of stop recruiting them. But I don't. Um, with us, I know like we uh, realize it's a marathon, so we're gonna keep recruiting, we're gonna keep pushing, and I feel like that's the reason why we're gonna end up having a top three national class. But some of the people that I'm going after is um, Dean, Dean, um, which Colin Mobley, really going after him a lot. One, um, Bram Walden, uh, Josh Simmons, uh, one just decommitted from Oregon, Ethan Calvert, of course, Corey Foreman, really pushing for him, him and Ethan Calvert to um, solidify our defense and get our uh, front seven together. We really just, we just want, we want a good group of players, like not only on the field, but we want good people for the, um, for the locker room and just good people who are coachable and want to work hard. Well, I, I got to ask you about Corey Foreman. Obviously, the big news of last week, he decommits from Clemson. Everyone's kind of connecting the dots with the USC. I don't know if you know him at all, but have you already reached out and tried to talk to him? Um, yes, I've reached out to try to talk to him. Me and him, uh, 
we're gonna um, have a little bit of conversation. I know Jake's been um, in contact with him a lot too. Jake Garcia, our quarterback. Nice. He's been in contact with him a lot, so they have a really good relationship. So I'm just working on building with them, and we kind of just like played our strengths. I let uh, Jake um, reach out to him, and I reach out to him as well. But I just know Jake knows knows him a little more, and just um, lives closer to the area, so it's easier for him to to really just communicate with him more often. But we all reach out. Coaches reach out. I reach out. A lot of our commits reach out. So I feel like we're doing, like I said, we're doing good as overall as a, like, as a group. You, you mentioned that there might be some other guys committed that haven't announced yet. I know you're not going to spoil any surprises there, which is understandable. Uh, but give us a sense for what is the current buzz right now, what's coming down the pike, just generally speaking. Um, I feel like we're going to have some good pieces that offensively and defensively that are going to um, – um, make decisions sometime here real soon. Uh, I think, uh, as far as I'm, what I'm going to say, uh, I think we got some coming up around Mother's Day. That should be um, that should be a surprise for everybody. I think. Okay. Very good. Um, we have a couple um, couple uh, that are real close, like right on the brink of making a decision. They're just trying to get stuff together with um, in terms of just like how they're going to go about um, like committing like video commitment graphic like so it's just people on the brink of that um, some people are like right there on the edge making a decision between two or three schools i feel like this um the virus that's been going around is also um played a factor into people really starting to realize what's right for them and like people starting to really just look at the schools who are just really interested in them and just like break down like who who's the best fit for them for sure, for sure. Well, just just lastly on this, are there any uh, any more Texas guys that, that you're putting the time into and trying to get on board? Um, yes, actually, there's more. Um, there's a couple of Texas guys. One of the players I can um, speak on, I would say that we that we really want. We're still going to continue to um, recruit, even though he committed. Um, Landon Jackson. Yeah, he just committed this past week to LSU. Yes, sir. Um, like I said, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, so we're going to keep recruiting him. And me and him have really good relationships. I talk to him pretty much every week, at least, like, probably twice a week. And, I mean, I know it was it was coming down to the end, and he ended up, like, having a top three, in his school, um, his top three schools in his head, and it was, like, Texas, LSU, and, and us. So I feel like we still have a really good chance with him. Um, like I said, we're going to continue to recruit him. That's just one of the um, many Texas guys. I know we still want um, JoJo Earl. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, from um, Alito. I think we're pretty. I think we're in a solid spot with all our guys that we're recruiting. I know also that um, a guy that we um, pushing for is also uh, oh um, in terms of running back uh, Byron Cal- Caldwell. Right. Really in San Diego. Yep. Yes, sir. I, I wanted to ask you about that. I, how do you feel about another running back joining the class and, and coming in with you? Obviously, there's there's a need. They're going to need the depth. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's at your position. Players are always interesting about that. No, I feel like that's good for me. Um, like I said, I think we could have another one of those situations that um, Reggie Bush, Lindell White type of deal, and I feel like that's going to be good for us. I mean, no, no, you don't really have to get wore down. You um, change up the style of play. It helps the team overall, so I'm all about it. Um, like I said, he's gonna like he's gonna bring a different pace in and a different keeps everybody fresh. So when you are in there, you can make the most of your opportunities. And like I said, it's gonna help the team overall. Um, so I mean, I'm like I said, I'm all for it. I'm excited. I'm excited to see um, who we're gonna get. I, I mean, I hope 
hope we get um, who we're pushing for. Good stuff. Well, I, I want to close with you just about your recruitment. And, again, I, I got to talk to you at length about it when you announced your decision. But I, I think it would be cool for the fans to hear from you directly. The fact that you, you haven't been to campus yet, you haven't visited, and yet you still felt confident enough in your decision to commit. Uh, just for the listeners, how did you get to that, that peace of mind and that point of, of knowing, you know, this is the place, even though I haven't been there yet? Um, I feel like I reached that by, like I said, I talked to the staff. I did a, um, a virtual um, tour, and I had a conversation with the whole staff, on, uh, with my parents. And like I said, um, I feel like, I could, first of all, I feel like they've done a really good job building a relationship with me, not just like just talking football, but just just as a, a person getting to know me, getting a chance to know my family and stuff. Um, I feel like they've done a really good job with me. So, And then on top of that, I just, in terms of the situation that was going on there, I just felt like it was it was an ideal situation for me. And um, whether you, I mean, you never you never go into um, go into a situation hoping the coach that recruited you leaves, but like I, um, like the situation is right. So I feel like whether um, the coach that recruited you is there or not, the, um, the situation for for you that if if the situation's right, I feel like it's going to be right whether the coach is there or not. So yeah. that was my that was that was a big deal for me. So. When I saw it was the right situation for me and stuff, I just went ahead and uh, cashed in, basically. Well, speaking of, of the coach, though, Mike Jinx, the running backs coach, is one of my favorite guys on the staff to talk to. I don't know that the fans have heard a ton from him. Just kind of give give your your perspective on on what kind of personality he is and, and what kind of resonated with you and, and his recruitment of you. Um, for, for anybody who doesn't know, I feel like Coach Jinx is a well-spoken. He's um, real laid-back. Um, and he's a straight he's a straight shooter type of guy. He's not gonna I don't think he's gonna BS you and I think he's gonna he's not gonna just tell you what you wanna hear. He wants you to he wants you to develop as a player and he wants you to develop as a man most importantly. Because he knows there's life after football. So I mean I think he understands like he understands like the values of of life and stuff and I just feel like he's he's just he's like once he's he's bought in on you, he's bought in you, I feel like he's one of the guys he's not gonna give up on you, he's gonna stay stay hard on you and like I said, he wants you to succeed, whether it's in football or whether it's in your major, whatever it is. He wants you to be the best that you, um, the best you can be at it. And, I mean, like everything I've got from him is just I just I just like his um the whole like me and him me have a good um connection and just like I said, he's he's a straight shooter. So if he has a question, he's gonna just just ask me. If I have a question, I'm just ask him. And he's one of those guys you could just you can talk to him about anything because he's gonna like I said, he's gonna give you his honest opinion. I mean, and I mean that's really all you can ask for. Yeah, and I feel like he's earned my respect, and I mean I hope I've earned his respect. Well, we'll get you out of here on two last questions. When you do eventually get to take that visit, and the world goes back to normal, and you get to go to campus, what what are you most interested or excited to see for the first time? I just um, really I'm excited. I'm excited to just see how like how uh, Cali dif- differs from Texas, and just like just really want to meet new people and just kind of just venture out. And I'm just, I'm just really just excited to get down there and just, just see the campus. Just really get to um, get to um, talk to a lot more of the players, a lot more like in person, just get a, just get a, just get to see my, my, put my eyes on everything that um, I've seen online and everything else. I mean, sure. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, um, I'm, I feel like it's, it's good for me to, to get out and really just, um, I like it's it's something different for me going to Cali. I've 
knowing I've never been there and I've been in Texas my whole life and so I know I know it's gonna be an adjustment period for me but I feel like it's good for me it's gonna help me grow as a as a man and uh, I feel like I'll um with coach Jinx there and the rest of the staff and the strength coaches and everything I'm gonna develop as a player too and I feel like it's gonna um, benefit me in the long run well well this last question for you we you know obviously these are strange times there's no formal football of any kind how are you working out how are you staying sharp in the game what's your process um really i just been to stay to stay um sharp on my game and stuff i just um i have a little bit of um some weights some dumbbells i have like a bench press squat rack in my garage nothing uh, too fancy just i just get after it i just try to get after it as much as i can i work out like i work out once twice a day um sometimes i'll go to the uh this is hill that's kind of pretty close to me. I'll go to the hill, work out. And that's why I still go through my uh, all my um, like footwork drills and where I get all that in. And I mean, really, and also I try to keep my mind sharp as well. I, I'll be watching a lot of film. Watch, I study a lot of running backs that I really just would like to um, model my game after and just kind of pick up a little um, little uh, little nuances of the game from a little bit of every like a lot of running backs that I really watch a lot and just try to um, input it in my game and just try to better myself. Are there a couple that you, you, you focus on the most? Um, yes. Uh, I really, for me, I feel like I, uh, these three would, uh, just stand out to me. Um, Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, and Christian McCaffrey. And I would say that just because um, the fact alone, I feel like I feel like they're so, vers- um, they're so versatile where it's just like their value is, their value is um, to it, their value to their team is, is so much higher just because they can, um, you can use them in so many ways. They can, they can pass block pretty well. They, they can run, they can run well. They can catch well out the backfield. So it's not just, they're not just a one trick pony. They can do multiple things. And I feel like that just, um, that ups your value. And I feel like, and like I said, they all have their all good character guys. And I'm so that's why I really look up to them and model, model my games. Um, I just take little things from all their games and try to um, perfect it into my own. Well, we've heard Coach Jinks describe his ideal running back, and it's, it's, it's that kind of player, that, that three-down guy that can do everything. So that, that, that's a good model to follow. Well, hey, Brandon, thank you so much. This was great. I know the listeners enjoyed it, and I hope by now they're all following you on Twitter and waiting for the next update on what's going to be dropping. Because, uh, I hope so. again, if you're not, follow Brandon Campbell on Twitter. He is as plugged in and involved in this recruiting process as anybody, and that was awesome insight. Thanks, Brandon. Most definitely. Thank you for having me out. Okay, I am super excited for Therese Paler, senior NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. But more importantly than me, a former colleague. Way back when, way back a decade ago, when we were both fresh out of college, Therese and I joined the Kansas City Star covering high school sports, sitting in a regional office in Johnson County, Kansas, and, and, and picking all-star tennis teams. Uh, Taking it serious, too. Man. Taking it really serious. I I'm not sure I've had more serious debates in my life than picking the KC Star All Metro football teams and arguing over <laughs> the third team tight end. Listen, it, it, not that different uh, as far as uh, when it comes to intensity compared to the Hall of Fame votes. It's it's it, we it is awesome how serious we took that because the kids deserved it and um you know i I do look back on those times fondly man it it was a lot of fun man those were great times they were very formative of course trez went on to cover the the chiefs for the star and now covers the whole nfl for yahoo so i figured we get him in and cover some fun topics and 
and uh, but just fun to catch up with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, anytime, man. I'm, I'm excited to talk about these guys because one of them in particular I really, really like and think he'll contribute very soon. Well, so, you know, there was a lot of reaction to USC only having two drafted players, which is definitely, you know, far from the norm for this program. But both guys went at kind of the peak of their projections, I think. Austin Jackson, the left tackle, goes number 18 overall to the Dolphins. And then Michael Pittman, obviously, uh, monster season at receiver last year, goes 34th overall to the Colts. Let's start with Austin Jackson. And what was your pre-draft evaluation of him and, and your reaction to where he went? And to just to give the, re- the listeners a heads up, if there's anybody's opinion I trust on offensive line evaluation, it's, it's, the, guy, it's the guy on the line right now. The reason he's saying that is because when we used to pick all Metro football teams, like I used to take detailed notes from the coaches on the linemen. So, um, yeah, Austin Jackson, really athletic. You know, I liked him. I liked him. I, I put a grade on him of 6'8", which is like just outside the first round. But I'm not really surprised he went where he went because Miami needs a tackle badly to protect Tua Tonga-Valoa. You know, he's good size, you know, a thick kid, 6'5", 320. 322 um and he's a good athlete too and that that really matters in this league at that position you know i think and he's young he's not even 21 yet so um you know that that lends itself typically to pretty good development as long as he's coached well and teams will definitely gamble on the good athlete who's a big kid and is young because there's a lot of development um, left to go you know one thing i really like about him is he's agile you know like he moves pretty well and yeah his technique re- needs refinement but you can't like teach kind of the way his body composition is and the way he moves so if you believe in your coaching theoretically this guy should be ready to be a pretty good player in a couple years i, I in general though 20 year old offensive linemen in this league don't fare very well so he's gonna need to be able to handle the bumps he gets um early in his career and if he handles that and he's stronger from it and he gets stronger and he's coached well technically i could see him being a really good player in this league so much about uh guys potential in the draft is is fit where they end up the dolphins obviously started a a rebuild last year but a respectable rebuild it wasn't a tank job brian flores did a great coaching job but they they traded away laramie tunsil before last season like you said they they have a needed tackle there do you think they throw Jackson right into the fire on the left side? Or how do you see him fitting into to what they're doing in Miami to build this thing back up? You know, Ron, one thing about what they're doing is that they don't have to necessarily do that. You know, off, uh, Miami's offensive line was bad last year, but they've taken some serious steps this offseason to kind of add depth there. and like promising young depth, right? Um, he's going to compete with Julian Davenport to be the starting left tackle. And Davenport wasn't good last year, but he did play over 500 snaps, which means that Jackson's going to have to take this guy's job to play. And if I'm Miami, you're trying to build competition. You let the best guy win. I don't care if you took Austin Jackson in the first round. You know, this is something he can work toward, like earning a starting left tackle job. He's going to have to go beat out Julian Davenport. and He has the talent to do it this year. But again, he's a young player. so he. But, but the nice thing is that he doesn't, have to like he there's no sense of entitlement he's going to have to win the job which is good for his development um and if he does it i think he has a chance to be a part of a really promising team and offensive line you know their right tackle jesse davis 
Um, they just paid him. You know, he's nasty. I think he's going to continue to get better, even though he's kind of in his prime now, 29. But they, they also drafted Robert Hunt, a guy I think has a chance to be a Pro Bowl guard, and Solomon Kinley. Um, a, a guy I think can be a starting caliber guard. So I think next year when all these guys get experience after a year, like this has a chance, he has a chance to be part of the nucleus that protects Tua Tonga Valoa in the long term. Um, so um, the, I, I like the fit. I like where he's at. I think, you know, he's going to be surrounded by some good players. It's just been up to him to kind of tap into all his resources um, and his natural gifts and just get better. For sure, and, and you said you had them graded a little bit lower. I, I went through all the mock drafts before last week, and uh, number 18 was kind of about the the high. So he, he went near the high end of his spectrum. Michael Pittman was projected all over the place, second round, third round. And as I was reading those, those mock drafts and the evaluations, I'm like, I just have to think that some team took an actual close look at this guy and saw what he meant to USC last year and saw – how he makes an impact on every level of the field. Uh, he's, a, he's an aggressive blocker. He's great in the screen game. He's great on slants and intermediate routes, and, and he won a lot of deep balls. And I just I, – I, I couldn't be more convinced that a guy is going to make a difference in the NFL than I am with Michael Pittman. What was your evaluation of him and where he went? I, I totally agree. I love this player. And, you know, I come out with the all-juice team, where it's my, a collection of my favorite players yeah. um, before every draft. He was – I just love Jalen Rager, and I, so I had to go with him and some other guys that I had to go with because I put a 6-8 grade on him, which is just outside the first round, but I wouldn't have been afraid to reach on him. I think the Packers um, are, are the team where they felt like they could have won a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. They should have considered taking Pittman because I love the player. Big kid, 6'4", 223. A daddy played the game, so he knows what it means to be a pro. I love when that happens. He also, like, like people say, like, he's not – like an elite athlete, but he tested actually pretty well. So, like, he, he is a good enough athlete to get open. Um, and he's got soft hands. He was really productive this year. Um, even last year, you know, when you have a yards per catch average of 18.5, that's really exceptional and a sign of a guy who's got big play potential. I love this player. But the most important thing is I love the fit for him. So often people fail to realize, like, you know, all these guys have a lot of talent. Anybody taken in the first three rounds has a lot of talent, especially when you're talking about top 40 guys like Pittman. But whether or not they're going to pan out, a lot of it has to do with their coaching, who's throwing the football, who's developing them. And if you're a receiver or an offensive player in general, going to Indianapolis is, uh, I mean, it's it's superb. Um Look, I, I watched a lot of Phillip Rivers last year. I, the play fell off. But Frank Wright co-signing on him tells me all I need to know about how much um, he still has left. I think there's a lot left. And if that's the case and you trust Frank Wright to call up the right plays, you know, there's going to be an opportunity to catch a lot of balls because T.Y. Hilton's still a good receiver in this league. So, you know, he's actually a perfect fit in this offense as a boundary edge receiver, a guy who lines up on the line of scrimmage, um, who will defeat press coverage. And I, I call him a contested ball warrior. I love Michael Pittman Jr. I think he's a perfect complement to T.Y. Hilton. And even though I think it's going to be difficult for a lot of rookie receivers to contribute immediately because of COVID, and because of like the, the disruption to the NFL offseason schedule, they get less on-field time. Yep. I think Pittman, because of his background, because of his bloodlines, and because of his skill set, is a plug-and-play starter and an immediate contributor in one of the league's most improved offenses. I think he's going to be terrific. 
you know, our audience here, our USC fans know this, but but his makeup is also off the charts. He's a guy that's going to come in and be willing to do anything. He started at USC as a special teams uh, warrior, and just that was his way to get on the field, and he attacked it and embraced it and, and never lost that. Like I said, he's, he's a great blocker. Um, you know, that's, that's a skill that kind of is not always there for the top wide receivers. He loved that part of it. And his game just went to a different level last year. The Utah game, which was USC's biggest win, Utah's only regular season loss, they're down to their third-string quarterback, Matt Fink, and Pittman caught almost half of the completions that game. And, and Fink was just throwing it up, and, like, and Utah could not adjust and take him out of the game. And the rest of the season, you found defenses you know, building around a game plan around stopping him. Brian Kelly came out after the Notre Dame game, which was a competitive game, went down to the fourth quarter, and said our game plan was don't get beat by Pittman. And that's the respect he conjured the rest of the way and, and still puts up uh, huge stats and over 100 catches and however many yards, 11 touchdowns, blunt the call finalists. So I, I, I'm with you. I, I love the fit, and I love that some team saw the potential he has when maybe others looked at measurables and said this guy isn't, isn't C.D. Lamb. Yeah, well, I, I feel very, very comfortable projecting Michael Pittman Jr. to be a long-term starter in this league as long as the injuries don't catch up with him. I think he's going to. I think he's going to be really good. I'm sure you've you've given your overall draft takes a hundred times by now. I, I kind of wanted to let some time pass before I got you on this podcast to do that, but I'll, I'll keep it real simple. I, I just want to know who your favorite pick was, your least favorite pick, and your best overall team draft. All right, I'll start off with the best overall team draft because um, I'm very enthusiastic and excited about the Baltimore Ravens taking uh, multiple all-juice guys. They took four of them. Uh, Patrick Queen is outstanding. He fell to number 28 in the first round, which is crazy to me. <laughs> but, but but it's not just him. Like They got Malik Harrison to be like a, a an off-ball linebacker with them in the third round. J.K. Dobbins was my all-juice running back at the end of the second round. James Prochet runs good routes, contested ball warrior despite being 5'11", late in the draft. And Geno Stone, who I think is going to be a good player in this league, man. I, I think the Ravens absolutely killed it. I, I, I do, man. I, I think that they, they uh, you know, they really did it. I keep it simple with like you know my favorite pick because um, I'm I'm sold on like Chase Young being a star. I think it's Julius Peppers and like I feel like if it wasn't if the organization wasn't competently run now by Ron Rivera, that would have been a prime place for the Redskins to mess up <laughs> below that pick. So right. I'm glad that they ended up with Chase Young. That's what they're supposed to do. Like good job there. And I'm also glad Miami took Tua Tonga Valoa. Like good for you guys for trusting in your ability to develop him physically, to rehab him, um, and to develop a team around him. As long as they put him on the Mahomes plan, there's no reason that he can't hit the ground running in, um, in 2021 and be really good. Um, I had a lot of picks I really liked. I'm going to try and run through them quickly. I love Zach Moss, the Buffalo. I did too. You guys are familiar. Definitely. I, you're, you're familiar with him. Um, dude, Zach Moss is a beast. I mean, he's a guy with injury history, which is why he fell to the third round. But if you put him and Devin Singletary, like, oh, my God, that's insane. Um, I love DeAndre Swift 
for the Detroit Lions. I think uh, him, Kerryon Johnson, is going to be a really good pink tandem. Also, like Logan Stenberg, the, the, the Kentucky guard they took, um, who's a who might be the nastiest player in the draft. Lord knows the Lions kind of kind of need that. Um, as far as like what I wasn't crazy about, I mean, big shock here. I wasn't crazy about the Texans draft. Um, trading a second round pick for Brandon Cooks, who's had an injury history. Good player, but costs a lot of money. You know, that pick would have been Van Jefferson, who <laughs> would have been cheaper and would have been just as good of a fit in the offense. So, um, and then you look at what they did with their picks. It's not a, I don't have an issue with the players. Like, I like Ross Blacklock, right? Like, I like Charlie Heck. But it, one of the reasons Bill O'Brien said that he made the trade for Brandon Cooks is because he doesn't think the rookies are going to be able to contribute. But then again, he took rookies at positions where they're definitely not going to contribute early. Like, again, linemen typically stink in this league as rookies. Like, you just need time to develop as a man or you're going to get beat up. So I just – I don't think that, you know, the Texans got a whole lot better this offseason. And that's not the fault of these players. You know, again, I really like LaRosse Blacklock. I just I just don't see it. And that kind of sucks because we all like Deshaun Watson, right? And yeah. it's just hard not to feel like he's about to be – there's one quarterback every generation where – for whatever reason, by the time he reaches 30, his team hasn't done it. And now people are wondering if it's his fault. And I'm scared that's going to happen for him, even though he won the national championship. Like, it ain't his fault. But in five years, if he still hasn't won, and they might not because of the way they're run, you know, that's that's sad, and I hate to see it. I, I see what you're saying with him, although I think that Bill O'Brien has so overwhelmingly commanded the spotlight on <laughs> with, with his with – his, Bad decisions and overmatched uh, GM moonlighting that so. everyone will give Watson the pass and, and honestly feel sorry for him. I, I hope so, man. I, I feel bad for O'Brien. When I was at University of Maryland, he was on the coaching staff there um, when I covered the team and got to talk mm-hmm. to him a few times. I was really rooting for his success in the league. But, man, I'm not sure I've seen a more overwhelmed GM in recent memory. <laughs> I, 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 I won't make you say that. I know you got to talk to these guys, but, but I'll say it. No, look, it hasn't been good. I'll say it. Like, it, it, he knows. Like, he knows he's getting ripped for it. Like, you know, you trading for David Johnson and stuff. Like, come on. I mean, he knows. But you know what? The nice thing about football is that at the end of the day, they're going to step on the field, and he can shut a lot of people up if they play well this year. And they might. I mean, they went to the division around last year. So that's the beauty of the game. You know, nobody knows what's going to happen. And at the end of the day, redemption is possible if you just – to go on the field and make your vision become a reality. Yep. The listeners are here to hear your thoughts, not mine, but I'll just real quickly uh, follow up on what you said. I thought there was great running back value in this draft, and, and Zach Moss was one of my favorite picks for that reason. I also like what the Bills did overall, getting Epinesa really late. Yeah. He, he was a guy projected in the first round for a while of, of mock drafts. Uh, of course, USC fans saw him in the Hollywood That was great value. So I, I, was, I, liked, I liked the Bills. I liked the way the Vikings started. Uh, but I, I agree overall with, with the, the other guys you highlighted there. Before we let you go, I, I think one of the, the coolest things that you've accomplished in your, in your rise into this role as one of the more prominent voices on the NFL is that you're a Hall of Fame voter. And I know that's an honor that means a lot to you. Um, I, before we get into I'm going to talk about Troy Palomalu, obviously. Before we get there, maybe just tell listeners how you become a Hall of Fame voter and, and, and what that process entailed for you. Well, yep, there's 48 Hall of Fame voters across the country, and there's one in every market. So I'm actually the youngest one. And the reason I'm a Hall of Fame voter is because I was the Chiefs beat writer um, 
when I became a Hall of Fame voter in the, the guy who previously held it, Randy Kovitz, who you know, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> who, uh, Kovitz retired, and they needed to give it to somebody else in the market. And, um, you know, Randy recommended me, and he was held in my high regard, so I got the vote, right? And it's something I do take very seriously. Um, you know what it's like being in a room like that with me. So, <laughs> you know, you can only imagine, you know, I can uh, imagine. how I'm going. How I'm going to the well for Steve Hutchinson, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, and I did too, believe me. Um, but no, like that—that's how. And there's 48 total. There's one in each market, so 32 markets, and then there's 16 at-large voters, right? So um, the six and the at-large voters are like national guys, like um, Peter King, you know, uh, that kind of Jim Trotter, that kind of deal. So um, yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of how that happens and we all get together the day before the super bowl and vote in the newest class it's been a fun and illuminating experience um you know they there's only so much i can say about particular votes because um, we're supposed to keep some of that confidential so sure. people can speak freely you know but I, but i'm not saying that because, you know to get in front of anything like obviously troy Polamalu was as much of a slam dunk as you can imagine. Like we all knew he was getting in because he was a great player with with Hall of Fame moments too, and a Super Bowl ring. Like there was, there was no doubt. You know, actually, what happens is a lot of times, like when we leave the meeting one year, like we'll all leave in little groups and start talking about the next class. And like I remember, like even a year ago, we were like, "Yep, so Palomalo's in. Who else are we putting?" <laughs> like, it was, you know, like we knew, you know, like we knew with that guy. So. It's, you know, obviously one of the all-time great Trojans that hasn't been the best two-year run for the program. So it was nice for fans to kind of get that connection again to, to a couple decades ago and, and, and some of the, the highlights and, and great guys who've come through here and, and to see him get his due. Uh, I, just to close on that, I know you can't get into too much details, but I, I think I, people are curious about the process and, and how long some of those debates rage and just in general, like, what's a typical conversation about a guy? Is it 20 minutes? Is it, is it two hours? So every player has a presenter who is typically um, the voter from the market that the player kind of made his name in. So yeah. I did Tony Gonzalez, right? Yeah. Um, and the Atlanta beat writer did him as well, right? Like you can speak for a player. Um, but the presenter is typically the guy – and you get five minutes to kind of list his accomplishments and give the speech. One interesting thing I can share, I think people might not know this, is that sometimes, like, your presenter matters. Like, can how good of a speech do you give? Can you, like, rouse the room a little bit? Like, you know, like, you can dis- you can disarm people if the guy is a jerk, you know? You can it, – it's, it's kind of interesting in that way, even though – I guarantee, I'm telling you, man, everyone in the room does a tremendous amount of research. So I think we all kind of know what we're going to do before we go in there. But anyway, um, the presenter, so like for Palomalu, all right, they say, all right, we're going to have a presenter presentation for Troy Palomalu. And, you know, the Steelers representative gets up, the Steelers voters gets up, the Pittsburgh voter gets up, and he gives a five-minute presentation. And... They open it up for comments, and people around the room might have something to say or ask questions, right? And that happens for about, you know, well, I mean, it can happen for as little as, I mean, Brett Favre was literally five seconds for obvious reasons, right? But, you know, if it's really contentious, it could last 40 minutes. It could, I mean, it could last 30 minutes, and that has happened, you know? So, and, and then... Once we finish going through 
the 15 finalists, then we vote it down to 10. And then we vote it down to five. And then when we get to the five, they say, all right, check yes. Do you use this guy Hall of Famer or not? And everyone says yes at that point because we got to start clearing out this archive, this backlog of guys. That's typically how it works. That's great stuff. That's that's really cool insight. I, I know most of us have no idea how that works, so that was awesome. Uh, great stuff overall, Therese. Thanks for, for joining us today. Yeah, and no problem, man. Guess, no problem, man. I, go ahead. Guess who's following you on the podcast? <laughs> Let me see. Um, Brady McCullough? Brady McCullough. Another yes. Part of the KC Star team way back when. And you know what? Before I let you go, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta bring this up. I gotta bring this up. We're we're talking about the good old days. We're talking about the KC Star, you, me, Brady McCullough, and our good friend Greg Moore uh, was yes. there. Is now a, a great columnist for the Arizona Republic, and uh, made some news this week with his his hot takes on the Last Dance <laughs> Jordan documentary, and saying yeah. that Michael Jordan is not only not only is Jordan not the goat, but that Isaiah Thomas might be. Greg's a, a Detroit guy. You're a Detroit guy. Did you abide these comments, or did you feel like the rest of us in the country? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the column. I loved it so much. But I mean, I don't. I mean, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, and we all know that. But it's also okay to defend the honor of Zeke because I don't think people respect Isaiah Thomas enough. That guy easily left four or five points a game on the table in his career in the name of winning. And I don't want to hear about Chris Paul being better than him. (laughs) I don't want to hear about Steve Nash being better than him. Isaiah Thomas was a top 20 player of all time and the best player on two championship teams. He was an all-time great. It was a crime he didn't make the original dream team, an abomination, to be honest. Um, and just because the bad boys were disliked, he, you know, he, he's paying a price for that. But at the end of the day, they can call him whatever they want. They still got to call him a champion. So that was more about, you know, Greg defending the bad boys and, um, you know, Zeke and these guys that were generally disliked. But, you know, honestly, I don't really care about doing that because back-to-back champions in one of the hardest areas of basketball says all it needs to say. I will allow you that there are mutually exclusive arguments to be made there about those two cases, and we can protect Jordan's legacy, and and you guys can uh, can stump for <laughs> Isaiah, but uh, mutually exclusive arguments. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, look, I love the game of basketball a lot. Like, I, I'm all in on basketball. Like I do love it. And as much as I love football, I do pay attention to ba- Jordan's the greatest basketball player of all time period, in the story. But it's not okay how people have dismissed the legacy of Isaiah Thomas and the, those Piston teams just because they played hard. You know, they said they played dirty. I say they were playing defense. So I, I've seen you play defense on the basketball court. So I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I know You're you would embrace the ethos those of those teams. <laughs> Listen, Rick Mahorn, that, that's more, that is definitely in line with how I play. I'm rebounding. I'm playing defense. We're going to be real physical. I'm going to make you earn it. Good stuff. Well, I'll get this podcast back on track USC-wise, but I wanted to <laughs> do that with you. And uh, next time you're in L.A., lunch is on me. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I, I, I hope I can give a plug to my podcast. Oh, please do. Yahoo. Please do. Yeah. Hey, listen to the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast. I host that with Charles Robinson. We do the best we can to bring you all the inside tidbits from the NFL. Um, we Charles and I are also friends, too, so we have a a lot of laughs on there as well. Um, so if you want to hear more about the NFL, 
um, and your time away from listening to Ryan's Excellent Podcast, <laughs> give us a shout on Yahoo. Um, give us a shout on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your news. Just type in the Yahoo NFL Podcast. We'll come right out, and uh, we'd appreciate it. And we're also very responsive. If you tweet at us, we actually respond. So, yeah, give us a shout. We'd appreciate it. Well, I have to imagine after this segment, you'll you'll gain a lot more listeners from our USC base. That was awesome. And uh, we'll have to find another reason to get you on here in the future. Yeah, anytime, man. Just let me know. All right. We are very excited to welcome in our next guest, Brady McCullough, the sports enterprise and national college football writer for the Los Angeles Times, and my good friend, most importantly, Brady, thank you for joining the show. How are you today? You know, just living the, the quarantine dream, buddy. How about you? Same, same. I've seen so many bad movies this last month, uh, <laughs> I couldn't even recall which ones are on the list. But we're, get, we're getting through it, and you've been busy this week because you have been, I guess, as closely as anybody tracking this name, image, likeness matter with the NCAA and, and the push for student-athletes to be able to profit off their name, image, and likeness, which they've not been able to do to this point. Uh, we all know how the NCAA works. They're student-athletes. They get their scholarship money, uh, whatever else the program provides, but there's no marketing deals for these guys. They're not using their image or popularity in any way, and there's been a huge movement, especially, say, in the last year or two, picking up a lot of steam to give them that opportunity. And there was a development this week. There was... I guess, would you call it a proposal from the NCAA on how they would want to move forward uh, with making that happen, but with some compromising or a compromise and some, some guidelines and parameters. You've covered it all week in the LA Times. Just kind of summarize for our listeners what the big takeaway was from this news this week and what it means. Yeah, of course. Um, well, you know, it, like you said, it's been a long time coming. Uh, the NCAA doesn't do anything fast. Uh, you know, big organizations in general don't do anything fast until until they really feel like they're forced to. Change change happens slowly. But but the takeaway here is this was uh, they about a year ago as California became clear California was gonna be really getting close and pushing um, its Senate Bill 206, which would allow this these NIL payments and, a, and kind of a much a big free market kind of free for all, almost like uh, kind of predicting that that if this something like that went through that you could have you know boosters you know having bidding wars over prospects and and all this stuff you know saying you know oh, you know we'll, we'll come up with some endorsement so that i can pay you money and just uh, this crazy thing and the ncaa is saying whoa whoa, whoa, whoa this is not where we want to go with this um so they, they put uh, in the last year they put together a working group they've you know trying to analyze just what this could look like how can the ncaa give more uh, since so many states have, have backed up California, and uh, you know, how can they give more without totally, uh, totally uh, giving uh, giving up the the tenets of, of amateurism and uh, you know all benefits needing to be uh, quote unquote tethered to education, um, those type of things. Uh, and so that's what this this release was was this working group put forth its recommendations. Um, you know, to the NCA's board of governors, and the board of governors kind of sets the sets the tone. Um, you know, there it's not an official vote; nothing became you know approved. But the board of governors looked at these recommendations and said, "Okay, yeah, we we like the gist of these. We support it. Let's let's move it forward. Let's try to put some real rules down based on these recommendations." 
and hopefully in January when they meet again, the NCAA convention every year is in January, uh, this gets voted through. So it was significant. The NCAA's top you know, uh, people are, are saying, yes, college athletes um, can get paid with these limitations. Um, and I assume you'll – do you want me to get into those? Yeah, we'll get into that here in a second. But you know, just to go over some key points – mentioned the votes in January, and this wouldn't take effect until the 2021-22 school year, correct? That's right. So I think it, and it's kind of a – it makes sense that that would be the date because right now as of um, as of now with these state – all these different states, about 30 or so states have, have got their own stuff moving. Uh, Florida has a uh, effect date of uh, July 2021. So what the NCAA doesn't want is – uh, one of these states getting out ahead of whatever the NCAA's, you know, legislation and bylaw changes are. And so, uh, th- I mean, a lot of things need to happen for the NCAA to get what they want in the next 15 months uh, you know, between now and then. But but that's why, that you know, that won't, well, that would starting that academic year would be right around that, that date where this Florida state law could, could kick in. And you hinted at one of the main concerns of the NCAA or, or anyone on – you know, the other side of this matter is, does this become a Pandora's box for boosters to run wild and find loopholes to pay guys? That's why some of these parameters are in place. If you want to just run down the key things the NCAA wants as kind of an oversight compromise, and then let us know, what have you heard in terms of reaction this week from people you've talked to about how fair those, those guidelines are being perceived? Yeah, you know the the number one thing they want to protect is the uh, is the you know the, you cover this stuff and you get these NCAA terms in your mind that you know this uh, pre enrollment the the pre enrollment environment uh, in other words the recruiting environment um, you know when, what's funny about that is they want to control it to make sure that boosters are not and you know, schools through boosters whatever are not promising kids. Uh, a certain endorsement for a certain amount of money, you know, as a recruiting inducement, come to our school, you know, we'll, once you're here, we'll, we'll hook you up for this amount for this, you know, whatever they, they want to keep that from happening. Um, you know, but what's they really want to keep that as the purest part. And what's funny is that's the part where the athlete, the college, the future college athlete actually has the most, uh, bargaining power. Um, is before they decide where they're going to go to school. That's when they're worth the most. Once they sign that NIL or NLI, excuse me, uh, <laughs> and they're on, and they're and they're on campus, uh, their their uh, their earning power to me goes down. But that's where the NCAA wants to control it because they don't want a bidding war. The, the NCAA model is is obviously based on uh, you know the the ideal of of a kid you know choosing to go to a school based on you know obviously the athletic program that he's looking at or she's looking at or you know the the academic profile a certain major they like or you know whether they want to go to school in LA or Lincoln Nebraska um, you know it's uh, they want it to be about that decision and not a oh how much money can I get from endorsement deals and knowing that kind of thing. Uh, going in and weighing that in the decision process. So they're going to put up guardrails related to uh, boosters. They're going to really be watching it. They, they don't, these are all very vague ideas at this point. They don't, they haven't put anything down on paper about how exactly this will work, but they're going to want to be able to monitor boosters 
everything's going to need to be really transparent. Um, so they, they've talked about certain levels of boosters. You know, uh, in some college towns, every, everybody could basically be considered a booster. I mean, if you have season tickets, you're a booster. You know, if you are an alum, you're a booster. If you, you know, so various levels that they would be comfortable with, you know, somebody doing an advertisement or, or doing some sponsorship work or whatever uh, with a quote-unquote booster that isn't like some heavy-handed booster that, you know, clearly uh, could be could be influencing a kid um, with, with a lot of money. Um, I think you, you also have uh, some sort of mechanism in place to monitor fair market value, whether that's for a social media influencing ad or a TV ad for the few kids who probably would be able to do a television type ad, you know, is, is what is this based on the market factors and, and comparable you know, situations? Is this look like a reasonable amount of money for this activity? Or is this basically just filtering a inflated amount of money because uh, of wanting to, you know, a booster wanting to help um, a student athlete? So those are the main things. There's a couple of other limitations that I think um, I heard a lot of scrutiny of uh, from a lot of people I talked to of different types. Uh, that was basically the NCAA by saying that the schools can't, the schools in uh, logos and intellectual property not being able to be used in these ads or endorsements greatly limits what the athlete can take away in a deal whereas if they were allowed to use school logos schools were you know able to partner with the athlete for uh an ad with a brand that would raise the amount of money uh for everybody instead because the ncaa really wants to protect the image and the idea that these schools are not involved or steering these athletes in any way with these deals um they're keeping it totally separate but they're also hurting not just the the athlete but these athletic departments who i know jack swarbrick from notre dame talked a couple weeks ago uh saying you know he would love the idea of being able to be partners or co-licensees with the athletes that that do some of these nil deals benefiting the athletic department too in some way financially at a time where these athletic departments are all you know hemorrhaging uh due to the the pandemic well from your story you mentioned there was 31 pages of explanations and i I think we just uh, made the job easier for all of our listeners as you gave a great breakdown there moving forward what's your biggest question left to be answered and what's the next step yeah yeah it's um to me it's going to be fascinating to watch you know as this moves forward what can the nca get out of congress they're very very uh, just a little background really quick. But the reason the NCAA wants con- congressional help is because what they, and I think they're right, what they can't have, you can't have a national governing body uh, for college sports where there are, you know, 50 different, uh, you know, renditions of NIL laws in 50, in 50 different states. Um, then no, then the essence of having a championship and, and competitive events uh, well, when not everyone is playing by the same rules in each state, just as kind of a non-starter, and that makes sense. So they, they want a national law of some kind um, that would preempt all of these state laws and say this is what the situation is with college you know, student-athletes, quote-unquote, and what they can do with their NILs. And the NCA obviously, spending – you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars lobbying in D.C., um, you know, trying to get something like that pushed through, uh, 
when you really look at the date, it's again that July 2021. They want something like that moving and done by the time any of that, that whatever that first state law is in Florida uh, kicks in. They want to avoid that entire thing, have it all handled on a federal level. Um, and they're also um, asking for, you know, if they, they come to something like that, they would also establish some, in their mind, a, a antitrust exemption that protects them uh, from further lawsuits uh, related to these type of changes that they're making with NIL. So long story short, I, I think it's fascinating. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Congress. What leverage does the NCAA have? The NCAA is totally desperate. They have to have Congress help them. So when they come to the table with with Congress, people you know, people in Congress, and they're trying to hammer this out, you know, I just I, I don't know what the NCA what does the NCA offer them? You know, I don't know what the NCA has to offer them. Like a, better seats at the games uh, for for the legislators. I mean, I don't understand what they what they really have to offer other than just hey, this is this great American tradition, college sports. You know, many of your constituents, you know, love this and are a part of this, and it's just this history and it's rich, and we want to, you know, keep what's special about it special, and this is important for the country. And you know, they can argue those kind of things, but ultimately, what is their leverage? I, I wonder if Congress, um, you know, will push on them a little harder, apply pressure in some other areas to loosen up these restrictions a little more in some ways, maybe including group licensing, uh, different things like that. Um, and, and in exchange for that, say, okay, you get your antitrust exemption, you, you get your NIL law, but we're going to open this up even more, and then everybody's happy. So uh, I think that's the most interesting thing. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly this is not some noble gesture by the NCAA. They, they've been pushed to this point. The pressure's on them. They have to figure out some way to make this work in a way that works for them also, and that's why we're here. If you have any more questions about this, I really encourage you to go to the Los Angeles Times website and read Brady's Q&A. He kind of just tackles every uh, major question they might have and, and gives a thorough answer. So there's, there's more stuff we didn't cover that's on there. But one question that I know that almost everyone has, people were huge fans of the NCAA college ball video game, which is no longer, and you have hinted on Twitter and in your story that it's not likely coming back anytime soon. Why is that? Uh, yeah, that, and that it really is. Uh, you know, I apologize to all of your uh, your, your listeners who have, who have just been waiting for that <laughs> in the last fifteen minutes. Um, they, um, yeah, they they just uh, they're not. They say it's uh, it's not workable, quote unquote, um, because they're not willing to uh, entertain group licensing. Group licensing traditionally, uh, you know, involves a union. Uh, college athletes, uh, remember the Northwestern case from five six years ago. Uh, you know that that fizzled out. Um, college athletes don't have the the ability to unionize because they're not employees, which is the whole thing with the NCA's you know, collegiate model. That's something that, particularly in the midst of this, I think they just don't want to open that up. Um, and particularly, uh, once you go there, then you're just adding and adding and adding. And uh, what's then the next step is well, if you can if you can do group licensing for video games, why can't you do group licensing for you know? TV, TV revenue and, and all those types of things that the NCAA does not want to get into. So it's a, it's just like a, you know another Pandora's box. They're just not they're just not willing to go there. But again, I did one thing that was quickly mentioned, um, and you had to really get into the weeds with me to find these type of things in that 31 pages. They do think that that group licensing is something that they could discuss with Congress to to get kind of a. I think they would want like something like I said, the antitrust exemption. 
um, to add in something like group licensing. And um, so I would say there's hope, but based on what it was said yesterday, there would have to be some other steps for the video game to come back. Yeah. Well, great stuff. This is this is your second all-time appearance on Trojan Talk. And that's crazy. That's just not enough. It's just not enough. I totally agree. And your first was way back in the 2018 season when you were actually covering the USC. Yeah. Before you left us for these these uh, bigger stories, jet, jetting around the country, you're at LSU covering their national championship run, uh, doing all kinds of cool features. We are going to have you back on a lot more this coming year, and we'll find we'll just find reasons to do it. That's that's what we should do. Uh, I look forward to it, man. Uh, Before I let you go, I got I got to ask you the question that everyone is discussing, and and we don't expect you to have the answers because no one has the answers. But is there going to be college football in twenty twenty, and if so, in what way? I, I know you're as big of fans of college football as anybody I know. What is your gut feel or best guess at this point? Uh, yeah, best guess is that um, the season is, is delayed. Um, you know, I think that uh, there will be a season because college athletics would would crumble right. under the weight of there not being a season. So, so my guess is that the season's delayed uh, on, on some kind of timeline. But since you're you know coordinating you know universities across the entire country who have much different situations regarding the virus, and everybody's got to be on the same schedule to have a season, uh, the most likely thing to me is it ends up being a situation where this particular coming season is pushed back possibly all the way to the winter or spring um, when it's truly truly known that the virus is not spreading it's been contained there's testing vaccines are on the way you know all those you know benchmarks and then you have a season that that ends sometime in the spring and uh and then probably the next season gets pushed back maybe a month or two um because of the fact that you you know have a season end in may and then you what you're going to start up you know give them a couple of months off and then you're back at it that doesn't seem uh fair to the athletes um either so so that that i would say you know a delay uh likely a, a really big delay this year, but a season happens, and then a, probably a minor, maybe a minor delay to start the next season. I totally agree. College football is just too valuable to the economic structure of college athletics as a whole. They're going to find a way. We'll just have to wait and see what that is. All right, Brady, that was fun. Uh, everyone who enjoyed that insight, go follow Brady on Twitter. Go to the LA Times and read his coverage of the NLI, NIL. It's one of those, <laughs> it's one of those two. I mean, they're, they're both important things. They're both important they things. Are. Yeah, uh, you know what? Yeah. How about you follow my coverage of the NLI uh, progress <laughs> and follow Brady's coverage of the NIL progress, and you'll have it all covered. I only follow you for the NLIs. <laughs> so. Good stuff, buddy. Thanks. All right. We'll see you. That is our podcast for today. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Trojan Talk podcast. And we will keep finding interesting and varied guests to bring you each week to keep Keep sports alive here in this these strange times. Again, if you are not subscribed to TrojanSports.com, what are you waiting for? There's a free trial. It's free. Free trial through September 5th. No commitment, no strings attached, full premium access. We're pumping out a lot of great stuff on the site. And if you enjoy the podcast, hopefully you, you'll enjoy what else we have on the site. So give that a try. Promo code USC2020. 
promo code USC2020 at sign up and you get the free trial. Take advantage of it while it lasts. And we will be back soon with another great podcast. As always, we appreciate you.